from Compass Media Networks. This is America's First News. This morning with your host, Gordon Deal. The Pine Tree State says no to Trump. Good morning. I'm Mike Gavin in for Gordon Deal along with Nicole Murray. It's Friday, December 29th, 2023, and here's what we have for you this hour. Maine has become the second state to bar former President Donald Trump from the 2024 primary ballot. San Antonio police are seeking a person of interest in the deaths of a pregnant teen and her boyfriend. Huge surf pounds the West Coast and Hawaii, flooding coastal areas, forcing evacuations and injuring several people. And the biggest financial regrets of 2023. So the top cited regret is not saving enough money. 23% of Americans regret not saving enough for their financial goals and 21% not saving enough for emergencies. And, you know, in 2023, it was harder for people to set money aside than the two years prior. Elizabeth Renter of Nerd Wallet on what we'd like a redo on for this year and how to do better in 2024 coming up later in the hour. Two more states have ruled on whether former President Donald Trump can appear on their state's primary ballot. We start in Maine, where that state's top election official barred Trump from the ballot, escalating a national legal effort to disqualify him from office. More on that from this morning's Dom Savino. In a 34-page written decision, Maine Secretary of State Democrat Shetta Bellows said the Constitution bars a second Trump term because of his actions surrounding the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol following his loss in the 2020 presidential election. Her decision, in which she found, quote, he is not qualified to hold the office of the president, end quote, comes after Colorado's highest court ruled last week that Trump is ineligible for that state's ballot. Both rulings invoked the same section of the post-Civil War 14th Amendment. It disqualifies from public office those who swore to defend the Constitution and then, quote, engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the U.S. Mike? Thanks, Dom. A Trump spokesman said it was Bellows herself who was guilty of a hostile assault on the American democracy and that the campaign would quickly file a legal objection in state court to prevent this atrocious decision in Maine from taking effect. Meanwhile, in California, Secretary of State Shirley Weber late last night included Trump on the list of candidates for the state's March 5th primary, despite facing pressure to reject his candidacy. The San Antonio Police Department released video of two persons of interest in the shooting deaths of a pregnant teenager and her boyfriend. 18-year-old Savannah Nicole Soto and her boyfriend, 22-year-old Matthew Guerra, were both reported missing last week before they were found dead in Guerra's car on Tuesday. The couple disappeared a day before Soto, who was nine months pregnant, was scheduled to be induced to give birth. The medical examiner's office confirmed that the bodies found in the car belonged to the couple. Police say each of the victims had a gunshot wound. The video released shows a person of interest driving a dark pickup truck described by police chief Bill McManus as a Chevy Silverado with a bed cover and another person driving Guerra's Kia Optima. The medical examiner had identified 22-year-old Matthew as one of the deceased victims in the vehicle, and he died from a gunshot wound to the head. The manner of that death is still pending. Police said the video was taken nearby where the bodies were found. McManus said detectives are combing through surveillance video, social media, and cell phone records to piece together what led to the victim's death. 
California's first huge swells of the winter are wreaking havoc on the state's coastline as an incoming atmospheric river storm forces evacuations amid flooding of beach and coastal roads. The extreme weather has been blamed for several injuries, ocean rescues, flooding, and evacuation orders at coastal cities throughout the state. The National Weather Service said that waves of up to 12 feet have been reported in Ventura County, and the central coast has seen 18 to 20-foot-high swells. High surf advisories remain in effect throughout the county yesterday, with local officials imploring the community to stay away from the water as multiple rescues were conducted in the morning. Despite the warnings, some people couldn't help but come out and take a look. First thing when I woke up, I looked out at my gorgeous ocean view and I saw these huge waves just breaking. And uh, I just had to get on my scooter and come down here and see what was going on. Eight people sustained minor to moderate injuries and were taken to the hospital after large waves caused flooding yesterday morning. The Ventura Fire Department, Ventura County Fire Department, also rescued at least 15 people out of the ocean during high tide. Santa Cruz County also issued an evacuation order for coastal areas near Seacliff State Beach because of flooding. In Monterey County, park rangers closed Point Lobo State Natural Reserve, saying high surf was washing into trails and rendering the entire park unsafe. Coming up next, a tough start to 2024 for the Speaker of the House. Hey, it's Gordon Deal, your go-to HelloFresh holiday buddy. Let me tell you, these HelloFresh guys are my secret weapon for a chill holiday. Picture this, skipping those crazy grocery store lines and dodging expensive takeout. Each HelloFresh box is a treasure trove of time and savings, even for a lamo in the kitchen like me. It's hassle-free with no waste, no stress. The ingredients are perfectly portioned, so I'm not blowing cash or buying too much. Honestly, it's been a game-changer in these hectic times. With HelloFresh, I'm cutting costs and still savoring amazing home-cooked meals. It's like my holiday magic in a box. Discover the HelloFresh magic yourself. Go to HelloFresh.com slash GordonFree and use code GordonFree for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash Gordon Free with code Gordon Free. Delight in the taste of the season from America's number one meal kit at HelloFresh. HelloFresh.com slash Gordon Free. Gordon's off. I'm Mike Gavin. A happy Friday to all. House Speaker Mike Johnson heads into the new year facing a daunting legislative to-do list, a tiny window to get it passed, and a warring GOP conference that will complicate his strategy at every turn. That according to Emily Brooks, House reporter at The Hill, who says the Speaker is being squeezed between competing GOP interests and confronting the same predicaments that felled his predecessor, Kevin McCarthy. Emily joins us from Washington, D.C. for more now. Emily, not that being Speaker is ever easy, but seems like the difficult Difficulty level for that job has been set on expert mode for a while now. Part of that just comes from House Republicans having a very, very narrow majority, very slim margin for error, especially with uh, former Speaker Kevin McCarthy resigning from the House and Representative George Sanchez being expelled from Congress. Depending on how a couple of these special election timings um, come come through in the next couple of months, there could be only two votes for the House GOP to spare. And that is pretty narrow when you're talking about all of the different challenges they've had over the last year or so um, with disputes over spending levels, with other um, disputes. And there's a government funding deadline coming up. The election season is going to come up, and there are not going to be a lot of appetite to really dive into substantive topics then. And so, yeah, the, the, the timeline 
is, is very narrow. And with all that, you say some of his Republican colleagues have gotten restless and sometimes openly frustrated with some of Johnson's tactics. Not a great sign so early in his tenure, is it? Yeah, I mean, part of that is um, just the nature of, like I said, the slim majority. But yes, there are, you know, those members, some of them are those who voted to remove uh, former Speaker McCarthy, like Representative Tim Burchett, who, you know, they're, they're, there's not really the same animosity on the same level towards Speaker Johnson as there was towards McCarthy. But people are starting to get restless. Tim Burchett said that, you know, I realize it's a game of numbers, but I'm ready to start taking some stands. There was a lot of frustration from people in the House Freedom Caucus who have generally been the sort of agitators of House GOP leadership over uh, Speaker Johnson's tactics on things like um, ha- having one idea to bring up two competing bills to uh, reauthorize uh, the FISA, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act section that had to do with um, foreign surveillance that was pretty controversial. But then they didn't like Speaker Johnson's idea on that. They didn't like that he had a temporary extension in the annual defense authorization bill. And so he's definitely getting some heat from some of these members. And between that and the government funding deadline coming up, and it's pretty unclear how Republicans are going to be able to come to an agreement um, with their Senate counterparts or even just finish their normal spending bills before the two-tier deadline, one in mid-January and the other on February 2nd. It's it's really tough for the new speaker. Yeah, and still, though, as you alluded to, it doesn't seem like Speaker Johnson would likely face the same fate as Kevin McCarthy with little appetite to go through more speaker drama, right? Absolutely. I, I mean, I think that, you know, at this point, even the people who are starting to speak up and be a little bit critical of Speaker Johnson and, and uh, people who um, are supporting Speaker Johnson say that they're really not expecting that kind of same move of a motion to vacate. I mean, this was a pretty explicit threat. McCarthy himself did tell reporters recently um, on his last day, essentially, in the House that he does not expect Speaker Johnson to face that same thing because he thought a lot of the resistance to him was pretty personal from people like Representative Matt Gates and others, and that Speaker Johnson you know, one of the reasons why he was elected speaker after weeks of indecision in the first place is because he generally does not have those enemies in the House Republican conference. He's generally well-liked. But as we're starting to see, once you're in a position of power and you have to make all of these decisions with different factions who are, that are warring against each other in the conference and a slim majority, that might start to change for him um, as, as people start to get frustrated with how things are going. Speaking with Emily Brooks, House reporter for The Hill, looking a little further down the road, is there some worry that the internal squabbling could take the party's eye off the ball when it comes to the upcoming elections with that slim majority you mentioned? Yeah, I mean, part of it is they need to figure out all of these fights. People expect to try and figure out as much as they can legislatively at the start of the year because they're expecting once election season heats up, not only in the presidential race, but in their own individual House races and in Senate races, nobody is going to be in the mood to take some tough votes or any, doing anything controversial as primaries come up and as general elections come up. 
All right, thanks, Emily. Emily Brooks, House reporter from the Hill from our nation's capital. Here's Nicole Murray. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. Maine's Democratic Secretary of State has removed former President Donald Trump from the state's 2024 presidential primary ballot. The Trump campaign says it will be appealing the state's ruling. Former Republican Congressman John Katko tells ABC he thinks this will all head to the nation's highest court. It's got to go to the Supreme Court. Several states have now uh, had this ruling. So the Supreme Court is going to set the parameters of what, what we do in situations like this going forward. And it's anybody's guess. There are challenges or pending appeals regarding Trump's ballot eligibility in more than a dozen states. Number two. The Biden administration has threatened to sue Texas if it implements the strict immigration law known as Senate Bill 4. The legislation would empower law enforcement to arrest, jail, and prosecute migrants suspected of illegally entering the U.S. The federal government says Texas has until January 3rd to assure officials the law will not go forward as planned. Denver Mayor Mike Johnston tells ABC News better cooperation is needed from Texas. Right now we have folks who want to work and employers who want to hire them and a federal government standing in the way that says that they can. If we can get those folks expedited work authorization, they can support themselves, which is what they want to do most. Number three. A powerful offshore storm has resulted in massive waves waves pummeling the West Coast and Hawaii. The swells have triggered rip currents, flooding, road closures, and coastline damages. Officials are urging urging residents to stay off rocks and jetties. San Francisco resident Eli Rod. I can imagine surfing out in this. It's so powerful. Um, these waves here, it's cold, it's powerful, it's, you know, you just don't know the power of this ocean until you're out in it. California officials say nearly 20 people have been swept away by large waves and eight people were taken to the hospital. A Miami family had their luggage stolen while at a North Carolina airport for a vacation. The Gavinos family was able to locate the stolen bag using technology, their new Apple AirTag hidden in one of the pockets. The family tracked their bag down to the Steelers' home along with other stolen luggage. The only downside, everything in the bag was gone by the time it was recovered. The Gavinos family, no relation to the Gavin family. Although, <laughs> a close cousin, perhaps. But thankfully, this never happened to us. But aren't the Apple AirTags, aren't we also... We're starting to think these days that if we attach them to our luggage, we can kind of prevent this kind of thing from happening. Not I, not so much, I guess, in this case. I mean, I guess you could say you could attach your Apple AirTag to anything. Right, yeah. That, that could But you got to get there. Stolen. You got to get there quickly because uh, the thieves work quickly, right, to remove the stuff and uh, get out of town. Yeah, I think they're saying everything probably was sold. Um, yeah, yeah. And they found other empty luggage there as well, but... Um, Dumbest yeah. criminals get rid of the evidence after you sell everything. Yeah, no? yeah, yeah. Not, not the first time. <laughs> Thanks, Nicole. Coming up next, learning from our 2023 money mistakes. Well, the end of the year is always a good time to take stock of how we did managing our finances, figure out where we went wrong, and at least attempt to do better in the new year. More now from Gordon Deal. We're speaking with Elizabeth Renter, data analyst at NerdWallet, and they've got a new survey on financial regrets. Uh, yikes, which we don't always like to hear about, I guess. But uh, what'd you find here? What's, what's the survey show us? Yeah, Gordon. So we found that two thirds of Americans say they have financial regrets for 2023. That's that's a lot. But, you know, the silver lining is that 75 percent of those people say they're going to use these regrets to motivate their 2024 money goals. Okay. so some of the biggest ones are what is usual stuff? 
Yeah, pretty typical stuff. So the top-sided regret is not saving enough money. 23% of Americans regret not saving enough for their financial goals and 21% not saving enough for emergencies. And, you know, in 2023, it was harder for people to set money aside than the two years prior. We had government stimulus checks. Uh, people were spending less on travel as the pandemic was winding down. And so 2023 was really a period of adjustment. So based on what you said then, are we able to compare 2023 to other years to see if maybe inflation's having a role or the pandemic had something to do with our attitudes here? Yeah, absolutely. So in 2020 and 2021, we can look at the personal savings rate. This measures the percentage of disposable income that people are able to set aside. And that reached all-time highs during those years when we were receiving those COVID stimulus payments, for example. Um, in 2023, however, those savings were spent down and the personal savings rate actually settled below historic averages on, on average, making it more difficult. Wow. All right. So I mean, what do we do then, say, for 2024, Elizabeth, if we're trying to not repeat the regrets of 2023? Well, Gordon, we really expect interest rates to remain high throughout 2024 and inflation to come down. Um, what this means is you won't necessarily be adjusting to rapidly rising prices or uh, swiftly changing scenarios the way that you did over the past few years, but those household savings rates will also remain lower. So it may take more strategic budgeting and spending to approach your money goals in 2024. We're speaking with Elizabeth Renter, data analyst at NerdWallet. We're talking about financial regrets from 2023 and maybe not repeating them in 2024. Um, budgeting. Do when we decide, hey, this is going to be our family's approach. How do we do it? We do it weekly, monthly. What's the recommendation here? You know, Gordon, I would really recommend people think about what's sustainable for them, okay? Because some of us really love to get out all the spreadsheets, track every category of spending, and for other people, that is not only unrealistic, but extremely daunting. Um, we did find in this survey that 22% of Americans regret overspending on entertainment. Elizabeth Renter from Nerd Wallet with some good advice for, for this morning's Gordon Deal. Mike Gavin in for Gordon Deal along with Nicole Murray on this Friday, December 29th. Here are just some of the stories making headlines today. Trump is off the ballot in Maine, but on the ballot in California. San Antonio police are looking for a person of interest in the death of a pregnant teen and her boyfriend. Nikki Haley clarifies her comments on the Civil War and slavery after facing backlash. Big waves crash into California and Hawaii, sending people to the hospital and others to grab their surfboards. The Browns are in the playoffs after beating the Jets on Thursday night football. And the landlord, who some say is better than San Claus. That story in about 20 minutes. More workers are feeling anxious, stressed, or blue and have a new place to go for uh, for help, a mental health app. Chatbots that hold therapist-like conversations and wellness apps that deliver depression and other diagnoses are snowballing across employers' health care benefits. A look at the pluses and minuses from Stephanie Armour, senior special writer at The Wall Street Journal. Stephanie, talk about what's happening with these wellness chatbots and how they work. Well, this is something that has really, really taken off since the pandemic because employers are realizing that their workers really have a lot of mental health issues. Um, and if you look at some of the data, it, it, we, there's been quite a spike in anxiety and depression. And at the same time, there's really a shortage of mental health clinicians across the country. So one of the things that employers and insurers are realizing is that they can try to bridge some of that gap with these apps. And a number of these apps um, use um, artificial intelligence either on the back end or 
um, to kind of converse directly with the, the consumer, which is really sort of fascinating. It's, it's a whole new um, kind of uh, twist on uh, getting mental health. Um, you know, basically, instead of a therapist, you're, you're talking to a machine. <laughs> right. So uh, what are some of the benefits of this type of mental health care for employees? Uh, well, um, what, you, what you've seen is some of the employees that we talked with said that they really felt like it had helped or made a difference because, you know, there, there may be a bit of a stigma still about um, going to get mental health uh, care. Um, they also have found that it, it can work uh, for workers' compensation cases, for people who are out injured on the job. Um, uh, Travelers Insurance now offers it as a benefit to all of their companies. And um, what they found is that people who use this app uh, actually came back sooner than those who didn't. So um, there is starting to be some data around this. Now, I will say there are also critics, too, um, who you know are raising some concerns as we see this roll out more and more. Right. So let's talk about some of those negatives, one of them being with any new technology, there are some privacy concerns, right? Yes. Um, there, are, there are two things. One, sometimes AI has a mind of its own. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, for example, there was a, a eating disorders um, a group that had... Uh, turned to an AI uh, to provide support and assistance to people who visited the website, and it started instead to give um, dieting advice. <laughs> so mm. they had to, uh, uh, you know, take that down. Um, but the other hand, there is really, because a lot of these apps are kind of considered in wellness versus healthcare, they're not covered by HIPAA, which is a federal uh, a privacy law in many cases. So there's some concern that companies may sell uh, consumer information to uh, other parties who want to target them for ads. In fact, that has happened in the past. Um, so so uh, some of the critics are just saying that, you know, people really need to be careful about the kind of personal information that they share. Yeah, just so we need another thing targeting us for ads. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Exactly, right. <laughs> so uh, what notable companies have implemented this or will soon? Um, well, uh, Amazon has uh, employees have free access to an app called Twill, um, which uses AI to track uh, moods and create a personalized uh, mental health plan. Um, Travelers uh, Insurance is offering it uh, their uh, a version of an app uh, uh, from a company called Wissa, which is W-Y-S-A, and they're now offering that to all their clients. Um, and uh, uh, there's... Um, uh, another company, Payroll Plans, that are rolling it out uh, to, for various third parties. So, um, and if you look at some of the data that is, that's been done by um, surveys of large employers, you're seeing a real increase in employers who are saying that they're, they're offering these uh, types of apps. And have companies in general started to make mental health care a priority in recent years? Yes. Um, you know, it's something that companies didn't really tackle too much, uh, just you know, 10 years ago, but what you've really seen, especially since the pandemic, like I was saying, like this has really become front and center, and a lot of employers are realizing that this affects the bottom line and productivity, um, and so they're, you know, this is increasingly something that uh, employers are trying to, to tackle. All right, thanks, Stephanie. Stephanie Armour, Senior Special Writer at the Wall Street Journal. Coming up next, how to celebrate Good Riddance Day. So for those of us who work this week, it's been a short week in actual days, but it feels like it's kind of been a long week. We're all doing different things. We're all sitting in different seats, checking different emails, doing extra work. But uh, it has been fun, uh, I have to say, to have the mic drop continue with our own Dom Savino. Good morning, Dom. Good morning, Mike. It's a pleasure and a privilege. 
And as we get ready to close the book on 2023, much of the talk is about resolutions, what we're going to do differently or better in the new year. But what about the not-so-good things that happened in the current year? For that, I give you Good Riddance Day, which was yesterday. Consider it the foil to New Year's Day, a day to celebrate the departure of unwanted memories. The annual Good Riddance Day celebration was held last night in New York City's Times Square. Revelers like this woman gathered to write down all the things they want to leave in the past. I am saying goodbye to self-doubt and what-ifs. So stop thinking about what could have been and continue to think about the present and my future and where I could be. Amen. Those pieces of paper were then thrown into an incinerator, and for good measure, a magician was on hand to help make the bad memories of 2023 disappear into thin air. That's not bad. I, I imagine that this has gained some uh, some steam over the years, right? This is not the first Good Riddance Day, right? I've heard of this before. This, it, this was the 17th annual oh, Good okay. Riddance Day event. And I imagine the first one probably had, you know, 10 people standing around, and now it's, uh, now it's up to a huge crowd now every year kind of rolling along. Because every year it seems like we feel like we're having worse and worse years for whatever reason right. <laughs> at least that's what people will tell you right they talk every, every year kind of seems like two people for whatever reason seems like worse than the last at least maybe since the beginning of the pandemic right no, nothing as good as is as good as the good old days mike we right that that is true as we get older we, we all feel like that and i have to say gordon deal might not support this because they do this on thursday or at least they did this year on thursday and that's supposed to be friday eve right right that is supposed to be a day to celebrate i can't imagine gordon deal uh doing this <laughs> in times square uh on the day that he's supposed to be celebrating like like friday Friday Eve. I do have to imagine, though, especially because it was a Thursday, the crowds for Good Riddance Day, not as jam-packed as New Year's Eve. Right, yeah, I, I would imagine so. And uh, it was the creme de la creme of college football bowl absurdity. The first Pop-Tarts Bowl played last night in Orlando. Kansas State beat North Carolina State 28-19, and that meant K-State earned the right to devour the first edible mascot in sports history, at least sort of. The game's mascot was a human-sized Pop-Tart, complete with eyes and a strawberry-filling smile. After the trophy celebration, the Pop-Tart climbed a 10-feet-tall on-field toaster and gleefully descended into the appliance as the crowd chanted, Toast that mascot! <laughs> a few seconds later, out popped a real, edible, several-feet-long Pop-Tart, which Kansas State's players pounced on. Of course, social media pounced too. One reporter tweeted the mascot, quote, Died doing what he loved. And one fan clamored for the Pop-Tarts Bowl to become next year's national championship game. All right, so earlier this week we had the Mayo Bowl. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I think I'd prefer to be forced in some degree, to some degree to devour a Pop-Tart after a game than have a gallon of mayo dumped on my <laughs> head. I think this is probably the preferable one. And yeah, if we're going to make one of these the national championship game, probably the Pop-Tarts Bowl. I, I will say uh, K-State's head coach got a Pop-Tart bath after the game, before the Gatorade bath. Okay. And I have to agree with you, Pop-Tarts are a lot less messy on your uh, on your person than uh, four and a half gallons of mayo was the other day. Now, did the players or the coaches wind up chowing down on the human-sized Pop-Tart? Because that was something, that was some debate about whether people were going to be able to do that or not when this happened. Yes. So, obviously, the mascot did not pop out of the toaster, but the edible Pop-Tart did several feet long, and by the time they were done chowing down on it and throwing pieces of Pop-Tarts to their teammates, there was nothing left, just crumbs. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, yeah, what the, I mean, the whole team was like 100 players or something like that. Yep. So, yeah, that would have to be one big Pop-Tart to feed all those uh, hungry football players. Yeah, it seemed like it covered every mouth. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Coming up next, the rise of the workcation. 
Gordon deals off resting up, but he will return in the new year. According to USA Today, many of us, probably too many of us, work during vacations and holidays this year. A large majority of employees admitted to working on vacations in a recent survey of workers in the U.S. and Canada by an online learning platform. Nearly half of non-retail employees expected to work during the holidays, according to a pre-holiday survey by Calendar Labs, including 19 percent on New Year's Day. Much of that holiday work will happen from home. Remote workers were more likely than their on-site counterparts to be working on Christmas. Many of us presumably would rather not work while on vacation, yet some of us build work into our vacations. Nearly half of workers have taken a workcation in the past year, according to another recent survey. Nine minutes now in front of the hour, here's Nicole Murray. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. Maine's Democratic Secretary of State has removed former President Donald Trump from the state's 2024 presidential ballot. Former Republican Congressman John Katko tells ABC he thinks this will all go to the nation's highest court. There's been no adjudication on the merits of whether or not he's been involved in an insurrection. So uh, I'm saying all that because I think it's going to go to the Supreme Court. Mm. The Supreme Court's going to be the ultimate arbiter of this. This news comes after Cal. California's Secretary of State declined to remove Donald Trump from their 2024 presidential primary ballot. Colorado's Supreme Court, on the other hand, removed Trump from their primary ballot. The state's Republican Party has filed an appeal. Number two. The San Antonio police have released video of two persons of interest in the shooting deaths of a pregnant teenager and her boyfriend. 18-year-old Savannah Nicole Soto and her 22-year-old boyfriend, Matthew Guerra, were found dead in his car earlier this week. San Antonio Police Chief William McManus with additional details. The first person of interest getting out of the Chevy Silverado that is seen next to the Kia. And then here's another, there'll be another uh, slowed down image of the second person of interest getting out of the victim's Kia Optima. The San Antonio Police Department is asking anyone with information to call their homicide line. Calls can be made anonymously. Number three. Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley is doubling down on her previous comments regarding the cause of the Civil War. After receiving backlash, Haley originally said the cause of the Civil War was the role of the government, as opposed to stating slavery, the actual cause for the battle. Haley during a New Hampshire radio interview yesterday morning. I guess if you grow up in the South, it's a given that it's about slaves. To me, it was about but freedom. What do you do? It's, it's bigger than slavery. That was such a stain on our history. But what do you take from it going forward? Another new work trend has emerged. It's called Act Your Wage, which is the mindset that the amount of effort an employee gives should directly align with their pay. The goal is for employees to implement boundaries to enforce a healthy work-life balance. Experts say the root of the problem is workers feel burned out. I like this in theory, but I also know that another good a good way to get ahead is to work really hard or work <laughs> work harder than your salary to get noticed by your bosses and move up in the world. So it might maybe keep some people down if they sort of choose to go this route. I was actually going to say that you're almost taking money out of your pocket. I get it. There was definitely a balance of power that needed to happen. Yes. Bigger companies taking advantage, especially of the younger folk. There was some balancing out that needed to happen. Yeah. But by not putting forth your full effort you are going to stay at that minimum salary forever. Working hard, a good way to get ahead. Thanks very much, Nicole. Coming up next, the best Christmas gift ever for struggling families. 
With the high cost of housing these days, we know the best gift that a lot of people could have gotten this Christmas is a month of free rent. That's what happened for the tenants of a New Orleans apartment building. According to CBS News, the building is owned by cosmetic CEO Brittany Ricard. Ricard told CBS that she watched her mom struggle while raising three children alone and wondered how she could help others in need. In November, Ricard gathered her tenants for a pre-holiday meeting and delivered a gift to them that would make Santa Claus green with envy one month of free rent. A video of her surprise announcement went viral on TikTok. In the video, Ricard also offered to organize a seminar to help her tenants become homeowners. Kadisha Dunn lives in one of the building's units with her two boys. The single mom said Ricard's gift would allow her family to celebrate more and worry less, calling her better than Santa Claus, like a guardian angel. That'll do it for this hour. For Nicole Murray and Dom Savino, I'm Mike Avin. Thanks for listening to This Morning, America's First News.